0: The grace of God and the peace of God His love, yours, through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. We're going to look at the Old Testament lesson for this morning. I'd like to just, again, read the opening verses of Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth the man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Those of you who are parents, do you remember what it was like, the birth of your first child? I remember Marty's birth. It was uh, Thursday, May 17th, and we had gone to bed. It was about 11 o'clock that night, not too long after we'd gone to bed, and Karen woke me up and said, it's time. So we went to the hospital. I remember staying up the whole night with Karen. I remember the lady next to us. This was back in the day when you didn't have individual birthing rooms. There was just... Uh, A fairly large room like this with curtained-off sections. I remember the lady to our left swearing a blue streak (laughs) as she was in labor, only to be uh, embarrassed much later on to find out that she was a member of St. John's Lutheran Church in (laughs) Kimball. We knew her family. She knew us. She was very embarrassed over her language that night. But I understand I also remember how uh, Karen dealt with her labor in in such a quiet manner. I do remember the pained look on her face when it came time to push. And I remember that moment when Marty was born. (sighs) The joy, the excitement. holding him in hands for the first time. So we named him Martin David. After 17 hours of labor, yeah, about 4 o'clock Friday afternoon is when he first decided to be born. The rest is, as they say, history. And to think that Adam and Eve went through all of that with nobody around, no prior experience, no birthing classes, no hospital, no attending physician, not even an attending midwife. It was just the two of them doing something that nobody had ever done before in the history of the world, give birth to a baby. They named their son Cain. That came from the fact of the promise that God made to Adam and Eve shortly after their fall into sin, that there would be this man given, and they assumed it would be one of their children, who would come and crush the head of the serpent who had deceived him. And when Cain was born, they believed he was the man. I know the the Bible translation said the Lord has given us a man. Uh, Most scholars say, no, really, that should say the man. Denoting that they believed he was the Messiah. which Which is why they named him Cain. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth the man. We know what happened, don't we? The first child ever to be born became the first person ever to take the life of another being. Even sadder still was the victim. It was his own brother. I, for one, cannot begin to imagine or fathom how that must have crushed and broken the heart of Adam and Eve. Can you? What happens when you find yourself raising Cain? Sadly, Adam and Eve is not the only family whose story is told of having a child or children break the hearts of their parents. There's Isaac and Rebekah, and that bitter, jealous rivalry between their sons, Jacob and Esau, family dividing and splitting. Then there's Jacob's heart broken over Joseph, his son, and his brothers, fearing, believing his his. His beloved son Joseph was dead. How his heart was broken for most of his life over that. David and his son Absalom. While David's king, Absalom is plotting against his dad and actually raises up an army to try and overthrow his dad, which would mean his dad would be killed, only to have him get hung by his hair. You remember the Bible story and having a soldier then spear, run him through. And then while it's only a story, yet it is a story that is told along the theme of children breaking the hearts of their parents. Jesus told it. The parable of the prodigal son. Sons, really, right? And actually, when you look at the whole Bible, the Bible is a story of God's children, you and me, breaking the heart of our Heavenly Father. Now, I'm, not, I'm not sure that we can ever understand why this and how this happens, especially when parents have done their best to raise their children to be God-fearing and, and, and God, God-pleasing. It's, while it's not told in the Bible how Adam and Eve raised Cain, I think it's safe to assume on the basis of the name they gave their son that they sought to raise him in, to be a man of faith. After all, his name you know, means, with the help of the Lord, we've brought forth this man. And I think further support of that can be found in how they raised their second child, Abel. The Bible makes it abundantly clear, especially in the book of Hebrews, that Abel was a man of faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. No doubt, Adam and Eve laid the same foundation of faith for Cain as they did for his younger brother, Abel. So what happened? What happened? went wrong with Cain." I think the conversation that Cain had with God following the rejection of his offering gives us some indication. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it." What went wrong with Cain? This may sound like an oversimplified answer, but it was sin that went wrong with Cain. The sinful nature that he was given at birth from his parents took hold of him. It was sin that caused Cain to plot to kill his brother. Let's go out to the field. It was sin that made Cain attack his brother and kill him. It was sin that made Cain lie to the Lord when the Lord came and asked about what had happened. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Imagine this, lying to God face to face. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? It all had its roots and origins in Cain's sinful nature, didn't it? The power of sin, the power of our sinful nature is great, isn't it? And sometimes, sometimes that power wins. And when it wins, the sinner loses. Cain is certainly proof of that. And not only does the sinner lose when sin wins, there are others who lose as well. Abel would head the list here, wouldn't he, as being a victim Of this sin. But then there are also the parents, Adam and Eve. After all, they were the one raising Cain. And on that day when Cain murdered his brother, they didn't lose just one son. They lost both of their sons. Do you know someone who's raising Cain? Do you know parents who are just right now at an absolute loss as to what is going on in their child's life and why their child is doing what their son or their daughter is doing? Do you, do you know a set of parents who are just absolutely brokenhearted over their wayward child? Might you be one of those parents? And now I'll add to this, might you be one of those grandparents? Because I know that if one of my grandchildren was to fall into sin to the point of leaving their faith, I know it would break our hearts. Are you a broken-hearted parent or a broken-hearted grandparent? What can you do If you are one, or if you know one, what can you do? The first thing to do is probably the hardest thing to do. It is to trust that the Lord has not turned his back on your wayward wayward child. He didn't turn his back on Cain. Oh, to be sure, he did punish Cain for what he had done, didn't he? But within that punishment, there was a measure of grace. Because when Cain expressed his fear to the Lord that now now the first person who finds him and learns of what he has done is going to kill him, then the Lord says to Cain, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And even before that, let's not forget the conversation that the Lord had with Cain prior to Cain killing his brother. In that conversation, the Lord warned Cain, both of the power of sin as well as gave him the encouragement to do the right thing, to choose the right path. If you do what is right, the Lord said to him, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. From that conversation, let's take this comfort, either for ourselves, if we are raising Cain, or for that broken-hearted set of parents or grandparents that you know who are raising Cain, so that you can share them with this. Not only does God not turn his back on wayward children. Again, I'll hold as evidence the prodigal son, or if you want even closer to home evidence, God giving his son Jesus Christ for a wayward world full of sinners, you and me, is more than proof positive that God never turns his back on a wayward child. But that not only does God not turn His back on a wayward child because of His Son Jesus Christ and what His Son did on that cross, there is forgiveness for that wayward son or that wayward daughter when they come back. And in some ways it is like Jesus portrayed in the parable of the father who had two sons. For with the younger son, the way the father brings him back is to be on that front porch praying for his son, watching for his return. And for the elder son, he actively goes out and seeks to bring his wayward son back in. And encourage him to take the better path. God is doing that for your Cain. And take it one step further for all the sins your Cain has done. He has given his son, and there is forgiveness for all of those sins. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become as pure as snow." That very forgiveness awaits your prodigal child upon his return home, or her return home, doesn't it? It is also yours and mine for all the mistakes we have made as parents which may have contributed to the paths that our wayward children have taken because we, too, have been sinners in our parenting, like Adam and Eve, who certainly must have had their sins, which also contributed, so you and I, as parents and grandparents, have our sins, which have contributed to where our kids are at. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our parental sins are covered too, aren't they, with the blood of Jesus So that's the first thing to do, is to trust that God has not turned his back on your cane. And he never will. The second thing to do flows from faith as well. The other thing that we can do is trusting in the Lord is to pray. Because when you pray, then God becomes, not that he's not already, but when you pray, God becomes involved in the setting. God becomes involved in the scene. God becomes involved in the life. That's why James says that the prayer of a righteous person does a whole lot, availeth much, as the King James would say. It's powerful and effective because it brings God into the scene. Pray for the parents. Pray for the grandparents. Back to James once more. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Or as Paul encourages us in Galatians chapter 6, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So pray for the parents of Cain, and let them know that you are praying for them most important of all, pray for the wayward child. Pray for the wayward child who is in drug rehabilitation. Pray for the wayward child who is in prison. pray for the wayward child who's flirting with the temptations with, of the world. Pray for the wayward child, who is not walking in the truth. Pray for the wayward child who's in that proverbial, far-away country. Pray for them. And keep bringing your children to Jesus so that he might put his hands on them and touch them and bless them. Let's pray now. Father, there are lots of canes in the world, and they're just not faithless, faceless. They're our sons and our daughters. They're our grandchildren. They are the sons and daughters of our friends and our neighbors. And we know that the hearts of their parents and grandparents are breaking. We pray that you would heal those broken hearts, Lord, of the parents. Heal that wound with, with your forgiveness, and with the assurance that you will never turn your back on their wayward son or daughter, not until they've come home. And we pray for those wayward children, those who are far off, those who have let go of your hand. We thank you, Lord, that you never, that you never lose sight of them, that you never give up on them. We ask that you continue to seek them, Lord, pursue them, because you're You're the God who sent his Son to seek and to save the lost. And so seek them even as you seek us. And bring them back home, Father. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.